Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The Crisis Next Door. A weekly report on the biggest conflicts around the world. With host Jason Brooks. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Violence between Israel and the Gaza Strip is nothing new. But the latest round of Palestinian militant rocket attacks and IDF air and artillery strikes has been the worst in months. Joining the crisis next door to talk about the fighting is Anna Arenheim, military and defense correspondent for the Jerusalem Post. Anna, thanks for joining the crisis next door. Great to be here. The fighting has been intense this week, and it was sparked by Israel's assassination of Islamic Jihad senior leader Baha Abu al-Atta. Why did Israel go after him? Well, Israel's uh, military and uh, their prime minister has said that Baha Bolata was uh, a ticking time bomb, that he was uh, in charge of and responsible for all the uh, recent missile fire and sniper attacks that Israel ha- has uh, had in the past few, well, year and a half now. Um, many of those times were just in the past few months. In September, we had it uh, when actually Netanyahu, the prime minister, was down in, uh, in Ashdod for a campaign rally and there were sirens and there were rockets that were launched by Baha Bolata. So the military has said that they have looked into uh, assassinating him actually for for months and only the past 10 days they got the all clear to go ahead. I think many people around the world are familiar with Hamas, which has been the main power broker in Gaza for many years, but there are other militant Palestinian groups such as Islamic Jihad. How do they stack up to Hamas, and do they share the same goals, or are there big differences between the groups? There's many groups in in Gaza. Gaza is, you know, like you said, run and governed by Hamas. But you have, like you said, Islamic Jihad, and you have the other small Salafi groups. Uh, You have the resistant committee. Uh, There's several smaller groups, but Islamic Jihad really, they get a lot of training and a lot of funding from Iran. Um, And because of that and because they've not really been targeted uh, by strikes uh, by israeli strikes in the past they've been able to uh, increase their arsenal where they're actually having more rockets than hamas um now doesn't mean that they're they're able to reach as far as hamas rockets but they have a bigger arsenal islamic jihad militants fired an estimated 500 rockets into israel during the first two day span but Hamas didn't take, oh, 400, okay, a little bit off, still a lot. But Hamas did not take part. That was reflected in social media posts with Palestinian supporters urging Hamas to get off the sidelines. Why do you think Mm -hmm. Hamas did not join Islamic Jihad in the battle? It's a very interesting question. I think this is something that Israel was very proud of, um, to to not have Hamas join the battle. Um, And... They, they believe that Hamas is not going to join the battle because one of their major battles right now is the Palestinian street. And the ceasefire arrangement that there is with Israel has allowed 
uh, millions of dollars to come in from Qatar. Uh, thousands of Palestinians are able to work in Israel uh, with work permits, uh, cross from Gaza in the morning and cross back into Gaza at night and work in Israel. That's a big influx of cash for the economy, for these, for these families. So Hamas wants to continue that ceasefire arrangement. And they, th- they said, okay, well, this time, let Palestinian Islamic Jihad get hit. Let Israel do our dirty work because Islamic Jihad also uh, made it very tough for them to govern. Al-Atta was very independent and he didn't listen to anybody. So not listening to Hamas, Hamas wants him gone. Now, is there a fear that there could be a power struggle in Gaza between Hamas and Islamic Jihad? And how does Jerusalem view that? Happy to see a couple of enemies slugging it out or you know, maybe worried it could lead to an even more unstable Gaza, giving further fuel to militants. I think uh, Israel right now sees Hamas as a responsible player, um, a group that, you know, while it does want to destroy Israel and, and is a terror group and does uh, fire rockets, because, I mean, it's only the first time that they haven't fired rockets on, on Israel, but... In September, uh, in May, in May we had over 700 rockets. A large majority of them were, were from Hamas. Um, but in order for Israel to work to get that stability in Gaza, and that's something that Israel's military has been working really hard for, um, I think that Israel was, was very impressed by, by what they were able to accomplish by not targeting any, any Hamas uh, infrastructure or, or killing that many civilians. Now, how difficult is it when one looks at Gaza? It's teeming. Uh, it's overcrowded. Uh, it, are are there differences in where Islamic Jihad militants are based compared to Hamas? Uh, one would wonder, would Hamas be worried about collateral damage? Or if not, uh, one would have to credit the IDF with tremendous precision in only getting the Islamic Jihad militants. No, Israel's uh, intelligence is un- is unmatched almost, um, and the ability to to there were videos released where you you see the explosion and there's people in of, of a home and you see people on the street, not injured, nothing else is, is destroyed, just at home. That that's incredible. Um, but at the same time, there was uh, one family that was killed just a few hours before the ceasefire. Um, in an attack that the army has now admitted may have been a mistake. And eight, a, a family of eight were killed. So Israel's intelligence is un, unmatched, like I said, but there's always that mistake. And that mistake, uh, which killed that family, is likely why there were rockets after the ceasefire was announced. We had, I believe, close to a dozen after the ceasefire. And, of course, that killing of that family has been making the rounds on social media. How does the IDF approach that when it comes to an investigation and and trying to limit these kinds of incidents from happening? Well, the investigation is really, you know, in-depth and uh, by by highest levels in the the military. Um, And I think that, that the Army... A lot of people say that it's, you know, the most moral army in the world. Other people argue that it's complete opposite, but really it does find uh, these incidents and these mistakes to be really uh, going against their goal because that could lead, like I said before, to, to possible strikes by Hamas. 
As is the case when the IDF and Palestinian militants go at it, the IDF does way more damage. How accurate has been Islamic Jihad's rocket attacks this time around? And are they reaching deeper into Israel than in past years? Um, They reached Tel Aviv for the first time since the 2014 war. Um, They've been able to, to hit Tel Aviv in the past. Um, but their their missiles and their rockets are really pretty dumb. They fire them and let them go to whatever distance they can go, and they fall wherever they fall. Um, but the way that Israel worked the the home front command and the orders to residents of the south and to the center made it so there were virtually no injuries. All the injuries were, I think, around 68 or 69 people injured. The majority of them were you know, a shock. Others uh, were lightly injured. There was one eight-year-old girl who was um, severely injured when she was running for for shelter. Um, But other than that, there's been very little damage. You're listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks, and we're talking about the flare-up and violence between Israel and the Islamic Jihad in Gaza with Anna Ehrenheim, military and defense correspondent for the Jerusalem Post. How tough is this for Israelis living near the border with Gaza? Uh, Getting used to running to the bomb shelter during attacks seems pretty frequent. Is this just becoming the normal fabric of life in Israel? The South has been being hit by rockets for the past 18 years. There's a whole generation that has grown up under rocket fire. I remember in 2011, I was in Sterot, and I remember hearing the first interception of an Iron Dome, and it was incredible. And you can, I I remember the faces that they, they, the explosion that they heard was different than the the usual explosions, you know? to, To say the usual type of explosion, that you're used to it, that's a little off. But that's the reality when, you know, you can be at your, your Friday night dinner and a siren goes off and you have 10 seconds to run for shelter. Whereas here in, in Tel Aviv um, and central Israel in general, it is, it's very rare for any sirens to go off if they're not at war. Because we're not at war with Gaza right now. All the rounds of violence that we had, they weren't military operations. There were no troops in Gaza. Um, But in Tel Aviv, when there's a siren that goes off, nobody knows where to run. I remember hearing the siren and seeing people on the street like, what's going on? So that was a a big shock. It's just not the normal way of living a life when you have to worry about rockets raining down on your head. I, I did see you post a picture on your Twitter page of a restaurant that was still open despite that happening. I mean, do you find people that still try to live their lives normally despite this chaos happening around them? They have no other choice. The restaurant I went to in Sterot, uh, in the south, that was the only restaurant that I saw open. And I spoke to officers in the home front command of the military, and they said, we can send police there to close it down. That's endangering human life, and that's not okay. Um, but in Tel Aviv, and Tel Aviv was also shut down. The cl- nobody went to school, nobody went to work. But there are still people in coffee shops or in bars and acting like nothing was going on. But you, you felt the difference. You felt that Tel Aviv was, was off. Completely understandable. Uh, 
saw the headline in the Jerusalem Post. I, I think it was your story, and correct me if I'm wrong, but after two days of heavy fighting between Israel and the Islamic Jihad, both sides can claim they accomplished their goals. Could you explain that? Mm-hmm. So Israel wanted to get uh, Baha'u'llah Atta out of the picture, and they got that. That was a, a big goal of theirs. Israel wanted Hamas to stay out of the picture. They stayed out of the picture. Um, Israel was able to precisely target uh, the infrastructure, uh, the operatives that they wanted. But Islamic Jihad, to be able to shut down half the country, to, to kill the economy for several hours, that just that instills fear. And that's exactly what they want. They didn't kill anybody. You know, they didn't uh, end the blockade. They didn't um, get rid of the, of the state of Israel, but they instilled fear. The Jerusalem Post also wrote a story calling Islamic Jihad Secretary General Zayad al-Nakala the Palestinian Hassan Nasrallah, Hezbollah's leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hezbollah has grown in strength militarily and politically in Lebanon and even helping out Assad in Syria. Does al-Nakala have those same aims for Gaza? No, I don't. I don't think so. But I think uh, his ability uh, to to lead and to to make those connections um, and his strength, his Islamic Jihad is, is a terror group that you know is going up and is really telling Hamas, you know, we're going to do what we want to do, just like Hezbollah can tell uh, the Lebanese army, we're going to do what we want to do. And Israel's political future in play after a second election failed to produce a ruling coalition and blue and white party leader Benny Gantz has been expected to try and form a minority government with the support of Israel's Arab parties. Does that seem less likely given this round of violence? Does this benefit Benjamin Netanyahu? I'm not someone who likes to talk about politics, um, but I I do think that uh, the fact that Netanyahu appointed, uh, even as a temporary defense minister of Tali Bennett, who actually released a video uh, in English for the Anglo community, which I don't remember any defense minister doing. I think that's a way for Bibi to try, uh, for Bennett, for Bibi, to try to grab that Anglo community that they may not have had before. So um, Netanyahu really is fighting for his life right now. Um, He's apparently an, an indictment against him is set to be uh, handed down on Tuesday, um, I believe. So he's really he's trying as best he can to stay in power. It'll be very interesting to see what happens every time one of these escalations occurs. The world wonders whether another all out war is on the way, such as the one you referenced in 2014. Do you think those odds are increasing or is this just a case of tempers boiling over for a little while? I, I think that it's a matter of when, not if, and where. Um, is it going to be in Gaza? Is it going to be in the north? We've had dozens of rounds over the past year and a half. We've had seven Israeli uh, civilian fatalities. And we still haven't gone to war. But Israel's main focus, and the, the military actually said this, that we wanted to end it, the, the fighting in Gaza as soon as po- we could, as fast as possible, in order to focus our attention back on the north, because that's where the main threat is coming from. And you're referencing, obviously, Hezbollah in Lebanon. And Hezbollah has been stretched thin in Syria. Does the IDF still fear that there could be another big round, as was seen uh, the last time with Hezbollah in the northern front? 
I, I think that uh, it's not only Hezbollah in Lebanon and Hezbollah in Lebanon and the damage that uh, that they will do to the country when when there is a next war is going to be very, very, very uh, devastating because it's not only going to come from Lebanon, it's going to also come from Syria. It's also going to come, it could come from Iraq because there's Hezbollah in Iraq. And those countries are all supported by Iran. So who's not to say that Iran will, won't stay out of it? But also, again, um, Islamic Jihad and Hamas will very likely join in the fighting with Hezbollah. So it's going to come from all angles, from all, all fronts. That seems to have been the worst fear for so long. And really, Israel has not seen that since, I believe, 1973, the last time that there was a an all-fronts war involving Israel. Uh, and Israel's been very active in Syria, many strikes taking place. Uh, do you see that as a campaign that will keep up as Israel tries to keep the pressure on Iran in Syria? Definitely, definitely. And uh, military officials have said, you know, that this is something that's been going on for since 2013. And Netanyahu has said that Israel's enemies are not safe anywhere. Uh, this is a campaign that's going to go on until something happens, either a mistake is made and a full-on war uh, breaks out, or Iran stops its activity. And this campaign that the Israeli military calls Mabam, Milchama Ben Milchamot, or War Between Wars, it's either going to end really, really well or really, really badly. It certainly doesn't seem that Iran is going to stop its activities as it supports groups all the way to the Mediterranean. And beyond. Good point. Hopefully this latest ceasefire will stay and, and keep I hold. I hope so. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> will a sense of normalcy other than hearing sirens and rockets uh, take place in the coming days. Anna, thank you very much for joining us here on The Crisis Next Door. Thank Appreciate you. it. Thank you. We've been talking with Anna Arenheim, military and defense correspondent for the Jerusalem Post. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Till next time. The Crisis Next Door with host Jason Brooks is produced weekly. If you have any thoughts for Jason, email him at tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. Again, that's tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.